everybody. I'm Tyler. And I'm Danny. And we're here with smoky air between our ears, getting ready to talk about A Field in England, because that's the movie we're going to talk about this week. But before we do, given that this is Fried Squirms and that we get stoned and talk about horror movies, let's get to the getting stoned part. Far Green hits. Danny, what did you bring me? So this is a strain that I know we've both brought over several times before, so it's no stranger to the show. But for those who are not familiar with Blueberry Silvertip, it is a balanced hybrid. And with that, it is a cross of the popular Blueberry, which is one of my all-time favorite strains, with Montana Silvertip. Which is one of my all-time favorite strains. I was to say, so it's the best of both worlds for the both of us. So with that being said, the THC comes in somewhere around the mid-20s. The effects typically are associated with creativity, energizement, euphoria, happiness, relaxation, and end upliftment. The flavors on this, you'll get some blueberry, fruity, herbal, sage, and sweet notes, along with berry, earthy, fruity, sage, spicy, and sweet aromas. Yeah, I really enjoy this strain a lot. I've been chiefing on it this weekend, so I can vouch for it. Cool, and I went back down to flour again and didn't pick up sugar cookies. Mm. I know. We broke the run. Picked up some motor breath just so that I went. I went down there, and they recommended sugar cookies. <laughs> and they're like, funny. this one been one of our most popular strands. Like, yeah, we know. The bud tender <laughs> I normally have, I believe, just quit and moved on to a new job. New bud tender. She's like, this has been one of our most popular, and I think it might be their highest THC right now, too. I'm not sure. I'm like, yeah, I've gotten that, like, three six-packs of J's in a row. <laughs> I'm good. I got to switch it up somehow. Went with the motor breath. We've talked about it before on the show. Cross of uh, San Fernando Valley OG Kush and Chemdog. Named motor breath because it kind of tastes a bit diesely. Known mostly for its potent effects. A little bit more of an up. A little bit more euphoric and relaxed of an up rather than like creative and buzzing. But there you go. Some motor breath. Fuck, I'm already loving this blueberry silver tip. And as always, please go check out our newly created Patreon. That's patreon.com slash fried squirms. You could have gotten this episode last week at even our lowest tier. But our top, you could talk to us. You can get mentioned right here while we're, like, smoking. You can join the smoke. That's right. You can be on your Discord chatting with us, smoking down with us. Yo, like, if you guys go for the top tier and you get on the Discord, then we'll let you know when we're recording. And you guys can fucking chat with us while we're doing this shit. Exactly. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, I guess we've never explicitly said that, but, like, it's kind of part of the idea. Is like, you guys can hit us up and, like, we'll hit you up and be like, yo, we're going to go record an episode. Yo, do you guys want to know what it's going to be about? It's going to be about a field in England. And you could have known this weeks ago. Exactly. And you might have even come equipped with some knowledge we don't have, and you can drop it on us. In the middle of the episode. And also you can get a fly-ass sticker. Exactly. And that's something we both don't have currently. I know we've been saying that. We still don't have it. Motherfuckers. One day. One day. One day. Before that day comes, though, we have to get to this. And by this, I mean the guts and bolts of a field in England. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts, a field in England... Who and what went in the making of this flick? Spoiler-free before we get into talking about the rest of it. And I guess we'll start with a spoiler-free setup for it all. During a battle of the English Civil War, an alchemist's assistant deserts 
runs into some other deserters, and they get pressed into service finding treasure in a field in England. That's about as basic as it gets without spoiling anything. Also, without spoiling anything, but to like early enough to lay out a little bit kind of what to expect going into this movie is like this is another one of those ones that like it's not a horror movie, but it's not not a horror movie. Right. Yeah, it's somewhere in between. Yeah. It's not not a horror movie, but as we go forward through this, it's not quite a horror movie either, man. I know. it. It's a mix of something, and mm-hmm. we'll definitely get into that. But you've already mentioned we do talk about the cast and crew from week to week. And this week we have director, writer, producer. He's got his hands on editing, a couple of other different things. But gentlemen, we are not unfamiliar with, and that is Ben Wheatley. So with that being said, we've reviewed two of his, I wouldn't say movies, we did one movie, one segment that he did as a part of an anthology, but the film that we reviewed, we reviewed Kill List for episode 98, and then the segment we helped with was on the ABCs of Death on episode 214, which it was You for Unearthed, and that was like the vampire one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, okay. So a few other films of note that Mr. Wheatley is known for. Some people might recognize his work on High Rise and the film Free Fire. A few other things of note as well as Down Terrace, the film Sightseers. And he's got an upcoming film. Actually, it's a sequel to The Make, and that is Make to the Trench. He's also got his hands on a couple of different television series He's going to be doing Meg 2. Yeah, dude. Wow, okay. So back in 2014, he directed two episodes of Doctor Who, and from 2018 through 19, he directed three episodes of Strange Angel. And for those who do like music videos, he directed Formaldehyde by the editors in 2013 and Mork and Mindy for the Sleaford Mods in 2020. So a few other works of note there. We have his writing partner on this is Amy Jump. We actually talked about her on episode 98. A few other things of note from her. She helped write the screenplay for High Rise, the film Free Fire. And it's announced that she's helping write on Tomb Raider Part 2. The cinematographer on this is Lori Rose. This is a gentleman who's got some really cool credits to his name as well. So with that being said, a few films of note from him. He did work with Ben Wheatley on Down Terrace and Sightseers. He also helped with Ben Wheatley on High Rise and Free Fire, along with such films as 2018's Overlord. We talked about the film, I think because we went to the movies to see it, but 2019's Pet Cemetery. he was mm. the DP on that. And last year he helped with Rebecca, which is another Ben Wheatley film from 2020. He's got his hands on a couple of different things from television. I think most notably he did six episodes for Peaky Blinders back in 2016. The music was composed by Jim Williams. This is a gentleman we talked about before. We talked about him on episode 98 because he helped compose the music for Kill List. He's also responsible for the score for Sightseers, another film we went and seen in theater. Speaking of the Roxy, we went and seen a Raw a couple of years ago. Yep, composed oh, music for that. Yep. And uh, David Cronenberg's son's film, Possessor. Mm. So I was like, well, pretty cool. All right, special effects teams on this were 13 Finger Effects. They helped with the prosthetics and figurative effects. Electric Theater Collective helped with the visual effects, and Rook Films helped with the logo animation. Okay, if you had 13 fingers, what's the extra three going to be? Mm, I'm going to think maybe uh, one on the pinky. Okay. Maybe two on the thumbs. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I think it. I'm going to get an extra thumb on each side, and then I guess on my right hand, because it's my dominant, 
I'll get an extra middle finger nice. so I can do the Dane Cook super finger. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right. This was produced by Claire Jones and Andrew Stark. Production companies were Film 4. No, left hand because that's my fretting hand. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Production companies were Film 4 and Rook Films. This was distributed by Draft House Films here in the States in 2013 for the theatrical release. And Picture House Entertainment helped with the... 2013 United Kingdom theatrical release had a couple of different release dates July 5th 2013 in the UK and here in the States on September 20th 2013 at the Austin Fantastic Fest hence Draft House Films mm. All right, had a budget of 300,000 pounds and it grossed a little over $64,000 that's in the widest release of 17 theaters that's what I'm saying I knew it was very limited we've talked about that before how you can't always go by those numbers all right, getting into the cast, not a very uh, extensive cast, but some really good actors. And I'm going to lead off with Reese Shearsmith, who plays the role of Whitehead. And we actually talked about him because he does make a brief appearance in Shaun of the Dead. We talked about that on episode 115. And some other things of note from Reese is I think some people, you know, if you're familiar with some English television, people probably know him because he helped with. The League of Gentlemen, along with uh, Steve Hemberton, Mark Gaddis, and Jeremy Dice. And he also helped with the sitcom Psychoville, as well as the dark comedy anthology Inside Number 9. He also worked on Spaced, uh, The World's End, and the Doctor Who episode Sleep No More as well. And we've already talked about his uh, small appearance in Shaun of the Dead. He's also been in, like, Burke and Hare, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Really I was cool. recommending to you Good Omens a few episodes back, and he's Shakespeare in one of those episodes. Dude, that is pretty awesome. Yeah, so he's got his hands in all kinds of stuff. I think he's also known for his stage work as well, so pretty well-known English actor. Along with Reese, we have Michael Smiley, plays the role of O'Neill. This gentleman we've talked about twice before because he plays the role, I think it was Langley in Kill List, episode 98 we reviewed, and he was in that segment, You From Unearthed, on uh, the ABCs of Death for episode 214. A few other things of note from this gentleman, Michael Smiley. That I is. would say of all the cast, Michael Smiley is going to be the most recognizable to the most oh, people. I think so as well. There's one that's actually kind of surprising when you realize who the hell he is, but Michael was also in an episode of Black Mirror in 2013. That was the White Bear episode. He was also Colonel Morgan Blue in an episode of Doctor Who from 2014. Uh, Into the Dalek, which yeah. is one of the episodes that Wheatley directed. That is really cool. So that's the it? second episode that Wheatley directed. Nice. Uh, a film I've heard about, I haven't seen, but The Lobster. I've heard some pretty good mm, things mm -hmm. about that. He was Dr. Cornelius Evazan in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And more recently... Oh, shit. He did play Dr. Evazan. That's really? awesome. Okay. Yeah. Just from this year alone, he's got two films, Sensor and Gunpowder Milkshake, and 2018's The Nun. That's another thing of note from there. All right, moving forward, we have Peter Ferdinando. He plays the role of Jacob. He's one of the deserters in the film. And Peter, actually, I saw him in a film... Man, I need to give this film a watch again because at the time, I don't think my head was right for it, but he was in 2009's Tony where he plays a titular role of Tony Benson, which is based off a serial killer Whoa. in England. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was also in 2012's Snow White and the Huntsman. You might have seen him in 300 Rise of an Empire where he played the Greek ambassador. He was also in Ben Wheatley's High Rise and more recently... King Arthur, Legend of the Sword from 2017. He's been in a lot of television as well. Let's see, more recently, he was actually in uh, a Doctor Who episode in 2014 
in the episode Deep Breath, which, is, really which cool. is the first episode that we directed. Jesus, there you go. It makes sense. <laughs> I mean, this is something we talked about before. Typically, when you see ensemble casts, it's because they've all worked together on other projects. Uh, ben Wheatley probably being the common denominator here. But all right, we have Richard Glover plays the role of friend. He was in Sightseers, the film Into the Woods, the film The Monster, and he was also in, uh, yeah, he was also in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. All right, we have Ryan Pope, plays the role of Cutler, a film I really enjoy, one I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, is the film Velvet Goldmine. It stars Ewan McGregor, mm-hmm. there's Jonathan Rhys Myers, it's a really cool film. He's also in the film Looking for Eric and United We Fall. I had to look that up because I was like, man, I'm like 98% sure it's talking about Man United. And sure enough, it is. Yeah, yeah. All right. We have two other actors, and that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. One of them being Julian Barrett plays the role of Commander Trower. And I was like, wow, this is one of those guys. He's only in it briefly, but you'll recognize him because mostly he was in The Mighty Boosh with uh, Noah Fielding. And it's like, Holy shit, that is crazy, man. A few other things of note from him as well. He was in Unnatural Acts. You might have seen him in Nathan Barley and Gareth Marenghi's Dark Place. And last but not least, this is kind of cool, is Sarah D. She voices the field, which, you know, you can argue, like, where the hell is that coming in? But the reason I bring her up is because she does a lot of voice acting, so it kind of makes sense. She's worked on Down Terrace as a radio reporter she was in Kill List as a newsreader. She was in Sightseers as radio voices. High Rise as voice of the High Rise. Crying Wolf 3D as the woman. So what I'm getting at is like mostly you're going to hear her voice. She was also in Dawning of the Dead. And more recently, she was in Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break. So that's our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings heading into the next section syphilitic penis yeah you're gonna see some dongs there's two instances of at least of some dong shots language yeah there's language there's some little bit of violence yeah some decent gore to go along i was gonna with say yes on both of those but yeah. only really two main times yeah. that you see anything i was gonna say the film even leads into it like there's some strobe effects and things like that that might mm-hmm. freak you out a little bit it does deal with drugs some drugs yeah so it gets into some trippy stuff. I mean, without spoiling too much. If you don't like drugs, though, what the fuck are you doing listening to us? I know, right? I mean, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello, we're big advocates over here. But I don't think anything else. I mean, it's a time period piece, too, so you might not be too big on it. I would highly recommend trying to find subtitles, man, because it can be hard following some of the dialogue. And I noticed at least one of the subtitles is wrong. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, I think that's about it, right? Yeah, that's all I can think of. I guess let's head on over to a field of England and see how it makes a squeal. How does that make you squeal? I don't know when the last time we had one of these flicks was, but I think this is another one of those movies where I don't know if we have enough time to truly get ready to try to fucking explain it. That's a solid point. There's a lot going on in this. I'm not sure how much is intentional. It's probably all intentional. Yeah, considering who we're talking about here. And it's not that it's not good. It's just hard to nail all down, and I think I'm still contemplating some of it. But not that I ain't got nothing to say. But, like, you could write... Oh, my gosh. You you really could write write an essay. A a giant fucking essay on this movie. You really could. You could make this a thesis, perhaps, as well, you know? 
I think it's a good and study. And we ain't here to do that. No, like I said, we don't have enough time. And even if we did, who the hell wants to hear that? <laughs> but I still find it interesting nonetheless mm-hmm. because I didn't realize how much of a can this film opens up. Kind of what you're alluding to. Like, it deals with a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that kind of break down on this film. Like, okay, if you don't know this movie, this is first off, like, this is how fucked up it is. How much of this movie happens? That's a solid point there, too. Even before the, the mushrooms, how much of this movie is actually happening? Right. With the way that just being on the other side of the hedgerow separates things. them from the battle. That's true. These are some of the questions that are going to be popping up throughout. <laughs> I, I guess that's where I'm getting at. Like, this is one of those movies where it's arguable that none of this quote-unquote happens. There is ambiguity to it. I think there might be some resolve depending on which narrative you want to follow, you know, Mm -hmm. because there is ambiguity. Like, I don't think there's really any right or wrong. It's kind of up in the air. But Ben Wheatley says there is a particular plot and narrative that they follow. And they said if they follow that, then the story is pretty obvious. I was like, okay, but that's ambiguous. (laughs) (laughs) So take that for what it's worth. But there was one that because of research and because we get mostly the pleasure of watching the film twice, I was like, okay, I'm going to follow this path and see how far down it goes and whether or not I can jive with it. And for, I'd say like 80 plus percent, I can jive with it. There's, yeah. there's a little bit of wiggle room where I'm like, ah, uh, it still doesn't really explain this or that. My dealing with this movie, I guess, has so far been, I'm kind of curious to see what I come up with on my own. Mm-hmm. And once we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go hard looking for some other people's fucking thoughts on this. Just yeah. like, because I'm curious to keep delving into it a little bit more. I fucking oh, no dug, doubt. dude, like, how did this movie make me squeal? I fucking dug this movie. No, I really enjoy the shit out of this film. After watching it last night and then about halfway through watching it today for the note taking, I put it on pause. And you know how we get like stoned, stoned and if we really like a film, we got to start letting people know about it. So, you know, I let our please friend Patrick tell him, know. I was about to say, please tell him you fucking texted Patrick. Uh, yeah, hell yeah, he I did. To see this and then I sent him the trailer. I was like, dude, you need to watch this right now. <laughs> He's like, he'll check it out. I was like, good. That's all you need to know. I mean, he needs to see the entire movie, but there's one part in particular he oh needs to see. Oh, gosh, man. And you know exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, there's some stuff that screams that a little his bit his style anyway. That's what I'm saying. There's some stuff that screams his name, so I think it's right up his alley. But... That's how this film made me feel. I was like, wow, this is another one of those where every so often we'll come across where, for me, it leaves me with a lot of questions, but questions because it's not like I feel bad, like, oh, it did me this way or that way. It's just like, man, this film, there's a lot going on, and it intrigues me. Watching it weirdly felt kind of like when we, just a couple weeks ago, when we were watching Green Knight. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's moments where I felt like that, for sure. I was like, oh, okay. Very much like that. This one, I immediately thought of two other movies, not just the, like The Green Knight a little bit, but I think there was two other flicks that this reminded me of more that I think would be either better companion pieces or a great triple feature. Hmm. The Lighthouse yeah, and Valhalla Rising. Yeah, both of those are really solid pieces. I'd say not entirely, but I know there's some films that influenced Wheatley directly, like... You can't help but notice a little bit of Witchfinder General in this. Absolutely. And arguably, you could say the blood on Satan's cloth. 
Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a little bit of that influence here, too. It's, this isn't Wicker Man-style folk horror. No, but there's huge but elements. But it's English folk horror. 100%. You could even argue, because of some of the other settings, you say there's some Scottish mixed in it, mm-hmm. some Welsh a little bit mixed in it, but mostly the British Isle. It's interesting, though, because this is almost like where those intentionally hearken far harder into either pagan or satanic Mm -hmm. influence. This movie leaves it far more ambiguous and definitely keeps divine intervention as a possibility Mm -hmm. to the point where it feels more of like, even though it's a period piece, it feels more of a modern take on folk horror, which incorporates more possibilities, I guess. It's a, yeah, that's a solid point. To maybe better represent the time in which it's set. Yeah. When you still have superstitions yeah, there's versus a shift the church. Going on. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on on the British Isle, which, man, I don't claim to be any historian on English history or Scottish history or any of that stuff. But given the fact that you're dropped in the middle of a battle during mm-hmm. the English Civil War... Know nothing about that. Right. I had to do some quick research, and what I gathered from it was there was King James the Sixth of Scotland who became King James the First of England. Okay. Right. He worked with Parliament in a way where it was very lenient. Like, whatever he asked, they pretty much gave him in Scotland. But he was finding a hard time in England... With that, so there was a little bit of a clash. This involved the monarchy, and at the same time, you had like Puritanism. You had these different religious movements going on, and I want to say James had an allegiance to Catholicism. That sounds right, and that didn't bode well. I do know with, a little bit of history. Yes, here that and didn't there. bode too well with a lot of Protestants. So you know, there was some backlash against Catholics and what mm-hmm. have you. So you have that going on. With the fact that there's three different countries trying to find a ruler, being Scotland, Ireland, and England, and he was pretty much wanting to become the ruler of all three. So you have that going on. <laughs> so there's a mix of all kinds of shit going on is what I'm getting at. And knowing a little bit of that and knowing what's going on with these people, it kind of gives a little bit more of an idea of what's going on with their characters per se and just the whole idea of why religion is the factor and why there's like still these beliefs in paganism and shit that shows mm-hmm. up. So I think that's why it's interesting seeing some of those things in this film too, because it's not out of place is what I'm getting at. How to best talk about this one. Oof. Oh, okay. How about this? I know we talked about we, histories. Should we do a brief overview or like our history with the first? Yeah, I, mean, I can tell works. you a brief, yeah, yeah. very brief history because we reviewed Kill List and because this film... I don't know how many different streaming services it's on now, but at one time it was on Shudder, and I want to say maybe Hulu or Netflix, one of those two, or Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's free on YouTube. Sweet. I think I was watching it on Shudder, and they didn't have subtitles, and I was like, man, I can't keep up with the dialogue mm. right now. It's too too much going on. Yeah, I watched it on Hulu. Yeah, and so I was like, ah, no. So I only watched... The first time I tried to watch this film, like maybe 20 minutes into it to where I was like, I can't follow this right now. Mm. And it's not until we came to the conclusion that we need to review this until I was like, okay. So yeah, I have a brief history. I knew about this film. I didn't know too much about what it was all about. 
until now. <laughs> For me, I was always kind of intrigued because I knew it was Wheatley. I knew we liked Kill List. And we would look up these different like listicles and stuff just to sort of get ideas for episodes. And I guess like a little bit of inside dirt, like we never follow any particular listicle. We tend to look up like 50 of them and see what movies come up across the board and then throw all of those into a metaphorical hat (laughs) and and just sort of of keep them in mind. Exactly. And then, you know, we kind of go from there. And I felt like this was a weird one because on things like folk horror or period horror or like trippy psychological movies, this movie seemed to pop up on like half the lists. And when it popped up, it was usually near the top or it would just not get mentioned. So I was like, what's going on with that? And even, like, depending on the the different platform you look up information on it on, like, you look up its Wikipedia entry, and it's listed as, like, a psychological horror movie. Like, a hallucinogenic psychological horror movie, something like that. Yeah. You look it up on, like, the database, I don't think it says anything about horror. And so, we've crossed into that realm before, and I kind of wanted to know what made it go that way. Hmm. And I agree, it's not quite a horror movie, but... I- you can argue that it's possibly a descent into madness of a sort. Right. There's a couple things, yeah, that you could say. I think because it deals with... It deals with, uh, like, the supernatural. Right. It does. Potentially. It, right. It leans in at least the belief in mm-hmm. it, right? You can at least say that. It deals with, I mean, some horrific things in general. You know, I'm not saying that all horror follows a similar path because it doesn't. But there's horrific things that happen in the film. Yeah, it's not a horror movie, but there's enough people that this movie is kind of going to fuck up enough <laughs> Yeah, that it's not not a horror movie. Precisely. It's not one thing entirely. It's a lot of different things, but I mean, it works. It all works well. Because we also haven't mentioned the fact that it's a black comedy. It really is. There's some times <laughs> like, wow, some of the delivery of lines and stuff. It's funny. It's funny and it's not supposed to. That hence the dark and. Just like, damn. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. And just fucking weird. And it's one of those ones that knows it. it's arty. Of course. Of course it does. So people don't act right. <laughs> there are several moments in this film where I was like, man, I love where this is going. It made me smile several times. It's just, you could tell they were having a lot of fun. In a weird way, it's kind of like that reminds me a little bit of Calvaire, where you mix like this weird, deep folk with this super arty dance off. Some weird what is going on moments. This is the same sort of thing. You take like if you think of like medieval tales of witchcraft and you go, what if they actually just worked that way? Yeah. (laughs) What if you just take those stories and they're true? Because if you read those stories, it's not what you normally think of other than like, I don't know, like witches throwing kids into fucking ovens (laughs) and shit. But whoopsie daisy. (laughs) The magic seems a lot more simpler, but also kind of straightforward, but like agrarian and mundane in its own way. It's the sort of shit that would happen to get people through the day. And that's kind of this magic when it comes up. I think so. It's interesting, man. I find, like I said, depending on on how you want to read into things, it can make this fun. It can make it, yeah, kind of like, these guys are just, (laughs) they're on some other shit, man. 
you know, for the time period. So we've done this for a few other movies. Let's really quickly breeze through oh, the yeah. actual yeah, events yeah. of what happens, and then we'll talk about what different things might or not might not actually mean. Gotcha. Because that way we don't get bogged down in... Oh, yeah, because we can. Yeah, so we'll just, like you said, just go over straight through it. But just, yes, kind of just so that right. everybody, including you at home, are on the same page. <laughs> the basics of what happens is Whitehead... He deserts? Like, Captain's pissed at him. Right. It appears that whatever location they were looking for, the treasure per se, he was off because of his calculations and what have you. So anyway, yeah, it, it seems like he's deserting him and making excuses for why and what have you. And then this is where you get the introduction of most of your characters. Yeah. Um, so you get Trower, who, of course, you know, is it, it looks like it's his commander or his master at the time. Yeah, Cutler kills Trower. Mm-hmm. He meets Cutler, Jacob, and Friend. Right. And those four set out on an adventure to an alehouse initially. Right. That Cutler says is nearby. Like, oh, I, I saw it when we were coming to the fucking battle. Exactly. So those four are on a mission, and they happen to cut through a field in England on the way. And things start to change when they prepare a meal, or at least Cutler prepares a meal for the guys. Cutler prepares a meal with mushrooms in it, which starts to lead some of the stranger sequences in this movie. The very basics of which are they then all pull on a rope and strain and strain and eventually pull O'Reilly out of nowhere. Right. O'Reilly is an Irishman that Whitehead was sent to find by his master because his master is an alchemist and O'Reilly stole, was... Like documents. Yeah, exactly. was a former yeah. servant to his master as well. In what regard, they never Yeah, we mentioned. never know, but... It seems like they were both students of the master. I would think so. You can assume that. And stole some documents and went off on his own. Turns out Cutler works for O'Neill. Yeah. O'Neill, being who he is compared to who the rest of them are, quickly takes over the group and is like, we're looking for some treasure and commands the others to find it. He apparently in some way tortures Whitehead, which causes him to act as sort of a human divining rod who leads them to a place to dig. Mm-hmm. They start digging. Oh, he has to he has to pecker check one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, Jacob's he's got some stuff going on with his wiener and he makes a potus for him and he goes back to digging, Jacob, that is, he and friend, and he and friend get in a little scuffle, and that leads to one of them getting shot by Cutler. Right, yeah, friend gets shot, they all get pissed on. Yeah, O'Neill gets called out, and what it amounts to is you gotta get friend out of the ditch. Cutler gets somewhat punished, if you wanna call it that. He said his only way out's down, meaning he's gotta dig his way out, <laughs> find the treasure. That sends friend off with Whitehead. Whitehead's dragging him away. He wants to give him a proper Christian burial. And Jacob, well, he's like drinking. Yeah. And he starts to wander off too. And uh, yeah, what it amounts to is the treasure they're looking for isn't necessarily treasure because Cutler finds a skull. O'Neill's like, where are those guys? And that's where it sets uh, Whitehead off and he finds some mushrooms. And he makes a declaration that he's going to become one with the field. <laughs> And uh, let's see here. Jacob helps him out. Yep. And that's where it leads to a, like kind of a shootout with O'Neill. O'Neill winds up 
shooting Cutler, which is pretty gnarly. Right. That right. was really gnarly. That was gnarly. <laughs> friend comes back. Yeah, friend comes back. He calls them out. He's like, hey, they're over here, meaning Whitehead and Jacob. This is where O'Neill shoots and he hits Jacob. Jacob retaliates and winds up getting O'Neill really good. Mm-hmm. Friend declares that he's going to be a better friend than Jacob will be. And so he runs interference while Jacob dies. Friend winds up getting shot because he, again, quote unquote, sneaking up on O'Neill. And that gives Whitehead the courage to fulfill his duty to his master. And he kills O'Neill. And then he retrieves the papers and heads back to the battle. Heads back to the battle and he reunites with Friend and Jacob. The end. And if that was, if you got confused by everybody sort of dying and popping back at the end, remember, they were all in a battle. They burst over a hedgerow and they're just suddenly not in the battle till they pop back over the hedgerow. Right. So there's some stuff going on. That's the kind of movie we're talking about. There's some shit going on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as soon as we got the bare bones out of the way, right? Some of all the, the filling, the pudding and all that good stuff in the middle. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. So, okay. So there was two main things. Oh, wow. Cause like I said, I haven't looked up anything. Okay. I took some notes. I sort of like sat there and stewed on it a bit. There's a, a few different themes that definitely run through that I was able to pick up, but the overall, what the fuck is supposed to be going on? I still haven't. I mean, there's a story you can follow and you can infer certain things from them just fucking taking drugs and stuff. But the, Deep down, what does it mean to my fucking stoned mind? Right, right. I'm not sure if they're in purgatory. Right, you could read into that. You certainly could. Or if they are all in some way whitehead. I think that's another way you can read into that as well. Like, they're just parts of his personality. This is a a mental break of some sort that he's having. Right. And maybe not even, like, over a long period of time. Maybe this is... Just the way his brain is processing having a realization in the heart of battle. Right. Or his world falling apart. Absolutely, man. There's or some... with all the fucking drugs being taken, like a way to process the death of his innocence and the changing and death of his previous ego and the change mm. into who he is now. Yeah. All right. Man, let me ask you this. The first time through, right, because that was... I don't do any research typically or anything. I just watch the film and try to, at least a little bit in my mind, all right, this is what I need to take note of the second time around, et cetera, et cetera. But the first time through, I'm like, man, this film, you're right, you could read into it. Is this like a, like his purgatory? Is it a split personality thing? Because they very easily all still be different people. Right. With the way it's presented. Absolutely. Not necessarily argue, aspects but, of him. Right. I think you can look into it and that's what I'm saying, the ambiguity of the film. Mm-hmm. You can read into any one of those, and you're not necessarily wrong because you, you could make good arguments for it. All right, so with that, right, the second time through, all right, let me, I'm not going to lie. Second time through, before I even watched the second time, I was like, let me listen to maybe one take on the film to come in with something a little bit more equipped with, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was listening to one person's review on YouTube, and they were making some solid points, but it wasn't until I read a comment and somebody brought up a really good point because once I started digging into this side of it, I was like, ooh, this is where I said you could probably read until like maybe 80% of the film. And this is what I mean by that. If somebody's mentioning the fairy ring lore, folklore, I was like, well, what do they mean by that? 
and this is what it is. This is kind of interesting. It says that uh, numerous legends focus on mortals entering a fairy ring and the consequences. So a fairy ring, you can interpret it as like a mushroom ring. Or yeah. Mush- yeah. And because this film deals with mushrooms and psychedelics, and I think there's allusions to it. Like, for instance, with O'Neill and the way they uncover him, he's tethered to a Rowan wood post. Mm-hmm. And Rowan Wood, I was like, there's got to be significance behind the wood itself because friend mentions the wood. And it's uh, attached to, like, druids and some of their rituals, even witches. There's names for it in German folklore and stuff like that. So there's significance behind the wood itself. But it says that for people like thieves and murderers who enter a fairy ring, it says that usually they get punished by fairies by running around in a circle like nine times until they're exhausted. And it says they become invisible to mortals on the outside of the ring. So it's like, that's interesting because they mentioned that, like when they uncover is like, how do we miss him? Mm-hmm. It was because they entered and they pulled that ring. And there's a sequence, I think in the, the filmography itself, where the, it kind of goes in a circle as they're doing that. Right. And it's like, they're untethering him in this circle, this fairy ring. So it's like, you can say once they enter that field itself or entered into the ridge, I was like, man, you can say a little bit of it's cosmic horror because whatever happens over there, it's kind of already written. Mm-hmm. They, they have no control what's happening. And then for me, after kind of reading to that, it's like at the end of it, I feel like Whitehead, he makes mention a little bit of like his research and maybe where they're at a standstill. And mushrooms to him might be the key because he's like, we need to start kind of researching things underneath us. Mm-hmm. I think he had an epiphany and he wanted to write a book perhaps on it. And he makes mentions of stuff like that. So I think maybe that was his epiphany. Like maybe he felt like he was tethered to just the the spiritual world or the mysticism where it can be right here in nature. <laughs> I think in the end, the possibility of this movie that stood out most to me is them being some versions of aspects of his personality Mm -hmm. and how we sort of form ourselves out of the experiences around us. Yeah. I feel like, let's see how to put this, that ties a little bit into the him being potentially a homunculus. (laughs) That's so funny, man. Carrying unknown information that was programmed into him from his master. Yeah. Which explains a lot of because Whitehead's by far the most pious of the group. Oh, yeah. As well Not as being the most just, like, straight-edged. Things get weird, by the way, going straight into the field. <laughs> because, like, wow. parts of this movie can definitely be, quote-unquote, explained by they're on drugs. But Whitehead wow. is kind of the viewpoint character, and he doesn't take mushrooms the first time. No, he doesn't. I will say he still crosses the mushroom line with the others, right? which is why I think they're one and the same, because he's still affected by it, even oh, if that's yeah. the part of the it's psyche regardless. that's holding back. Yeah, and he's still going to be affected by it, yeah. He coughs up the unknown ancient teaching from his master, and then later, as the others die, is when he sort of starts kind of taking them into him, by the end, become O'Neill? I mean, you could say that, yeah. I mean, he's literally... Although it seems like he doesn't take in O'Neill. No, no, no. It seems like he takes in the others to form his own version of O'Neill. Right. To replace 
the more toxic version. I mean, he makes of himself. he makes mention of that. I, I think that's a good <clears throat> point too. When you could say it could be like the death of an ego part of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be read into that, and I think you make a good argument for it. That's kind of the beauty behind this film too, right? It, yeah. Because it does leave you with like, okay, yeah, you can lean into this, but it doesn't necessarily maybe answer this part of the film. I also there's think, other shit going on. I honestly, honestly, even though he never fully crosses the hedge, yeah. in that reading of it, Trower might also be an aspect of himself. I can see that. Just because of the, the way the absurdity and the way he dies and things like that, it's for him in a way it reveals another path because it's like, all right, here's, a, here's an instant clue for me, at least the second time around. He's got the fucking ring pointing, right? Mm-hmm. And then he mentions the shadow characters. And he's like, maybe it's nothing, perhaps. I don't know. Well, and it seems to be almost like the death of him being loyal simply out of a sense of duty. You're right. There's he's a gotten there. That- he's in the battle. He's now seen death. Mm-hmm. He, he can no longer be loyal just because he's, like, loyal to the crown right. or whatever. You know, how, whatever you want to think of this as as the metaphor, like the change he's actually making, like because no, I think the battle's still important. The fact that this is happening to somebody and that half these characters are in some way soldiers, at least half yeah. these characters, and if not all of them are in some way soldiers, is important. No, that's a solid point. There's a bit of it where <clears> I feel like it's a you could say it could be an allegory or metaphor for the way that just regular people get kind of treated in war situations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it really doesn't have any, you know, thing necessarily to do with them per se individually, but they get thrown into these other things that they have no control over, right? They're just fighting for a side. And he does make mention of like self-preservation. There comes a point where it's like, hold on, man, <laughs> you know, we got to see this for what it's worth and things like that. So there's, I think there's a little bit of commentary on that too. Like just what war can do. The outcomes, the consequences, you know, it's just bodies in a field. Well, and I think, like, to tie into that, like, there's a reason one of the characters is simply named Friend. Right. And he dies a couple times. He just, yeah, he's just a guy that could be a friend out on the battlefield. And he's not. a simple story. And he's vaguely aligned with Whitehead. Right. But not to the point of, say, uh... Jacob, who's almost trying to act almost fatherly towards Whitehead at the end. That's a solid point, yeah. He's just a friend. Yeah. And, like, in the war allegory, I guess, like, he's on your side. He's a friend. Yeah, at least he's on your side. You don't necessarily know him. Right. And like I said, just a very simple person. He's just that guy over there that was on your side that got killed. Right. He was trying to help. He was trying to do the same thing you were trying to do vaguely. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a good way of looking at that character, too, because otherwise he probably would have had a name outside of friend. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something in that as well. Solid point. But there's still something to take from that, from, I guess, processing that kind of death. The, what would it be? Like that sort of impersonal death. Yeah, it's it's still going to you know have an effect, of course, but... Not to the same degree it would on someone who's really close to yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, and Whitehead, the reason I say that, like, the newly emptied homunculus Whitehead is now taking these others into himself is you have things like when friend dies 
and he tells them, remember my song, when he's taken him out, right. he's singing. He's taken that part of, of friend into him, and he has friend's own words in his mouth now. Later, Solid. when Cutler gets killed, he stops the wind with it by... Yeah. Almost like he's taking that last breath into him. For him, yeah. And that's and he starts to sort of straighten up even a little bit more then. And I mean, Friend gets beat up the first time when Whitehead is girding his loins. <laughs> yeah. To talk to. And that's where it's where I'm like, oh, maybe it's a part of his personality because he's having to suppress this because Friend gets walked over by everyone. He'll do what anybody right, fucking right. says any fucking time of the day. And I'm like, okay, so he's having to suppress the part that's getting fucking walked over all the time to be able to talk to O'Neill. And so, of course, at the same time, friend is going to start to get beat up. Makes sense, yeah. So I think that's a clever way of looking at it, too. Like, these all represent a part of him. And in another way, like you were saying, is uh, he takes in these personalities, too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, yeah. But it, it makes sense. But I don't know, man. Like, there's other things that seem like they're just in purgatory. I can totally see that, too. Because of the multiple deaths, and they make mention, you know, of things, not necessarily like it's super holy or nothing like that, but they, you know, they make allusions to that kind of shit. And it's like, okay, it makes sense. We've already kind of alluded to the whole Catholicism thing, too, that was happening at the time and what it meant. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, who knows, man. But... (laughs) I think that's the fun, once again, I know I'm kind of repeating myself here, but that's the fun with this film. I've been thinking about this fucking film since, like, <laughs> not, since not only last night, but definitely after the second time watching it and just reading a little bit up on it with people's reviews and not that I've read a lot, but even within that stuff, it's like, yeah, I'm not necessarily buying 100% of it, but they make good arguments and it's kind of a lot of the same things we've been talking about is some of it's folklore, some of it's dealing with you know, the fear of maybe a godless nation and stuff like mm-hmm. that with, like I said, there's ties to paganism. And at the time, I think they say that Puritans were trying to, quote unquote, iron out paganism from Catholicism because there was, you know, Catholics are borrowing pagan rituals. Not that Christianity as a whole is not, but, mm-hmm. you know, at the time, I suppose it was very heavy leaning that way. Well, and like how much is that kind of weirdly reinforced in this movie too? You have Whitehead the most pious character who does try to re sort of reinforce the God angle whenever he can, but he's working for a known alchemist. Right. And And he himself ends up becoming a divining rod for older pagan forces. Right. That's what I'm getting at. It's crossing some of those ideas. And arguably we don't see any full indication in one way or another But I would say the indication and the change of his character by the end of the movie sort of indicates that he's not as pious as he once was, though arguably he might still technically be a believer. Right. He's not against knowing, I guess, or like using those means. Yeah. I mean, legit, this movie's kind of also just like a very (laughs) trippy, drugged out origin story for like... Solomon Kane type character. Yeah, dude. It's or like wild. a like we were just talking about last week, like a vampire or, or like a witch hunter type character. Right. Like a Matthias Thulman or Yeah, there's moments like for instance, not to cut off too much, but the whole tent scene, you know, I'm like at first I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. First, because he's making these blood curdling screams, I'm like, is he in there getting poofed? What is going on? 
Yo, there's... So... I don't know how this movie manages to do it, but that torture, without any on-screen implication, is kind of implied to partially include rape, right? Oh, man. As much as we talked about it last week, you can't help but think about it this week, because that was the first thing that crossed my mind. And those guys' expressions on the outside, they're like, ooh, damn. Whatever's going on there. Well, and there's... As soon as O'Neill shows up, there starts to be an extra sexual element to the movie. Absolutely. They friend, friend caressing the post that's directly connected to O'Neill's origin. Hello. If you skip way forward ahead to Cutler's End. <laughs> yeah. Can be taken very sexually. It says let the devil in. And a few of his lines... Can be interpreted cool. interestingly because, like, he says a couple things about just like a place to fucking plow a hole or something like that. Like, yeah, there's one that really kind of tipped me off, and I'm like, wow, well, two, but one in general is O'Neill and Whitehead are having a conversation. I can't remember exactly about what I think it was the master, but he's like, something is like, oh, I see that the master kept you like some kind of virginal, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and I was like, he makes mention too of like you know you're girding your loins and stuff. I'm like these are very homoerotic things that they're kind There's of alluding no, to. It's weird because in no way in that torture scene is rape actually implied, but the right. fact that you can kind nothing of, sexual enters into the movie yeah. until O'Neill enters weirdly makes it implied. The little bit I have looked up, I know that we're not the only ones that think that. I mean, come on, you can't help but notice it, but. I would say, all right, if we're going to... Oh, there's also the, what's the line? What this party is lacking is the civilized influence of women. Right. That, They're to me, like is... Too much bro stuff going on right now. It's yes. more than just grab ass in this locker room. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is some sandusky stuff. I feel like stuff. that line hammers at home more than anything. I think you're right. And how it's delivered yeah. and when it's delivered in relation to that Ooh. sequence. It's telling. It really is. You're right. I think that's a really reinforcing line for this situation. Wow. I'm glad I wrote that. This movie was weird. A lot of my notes are actually just quotes from this movie. I mean, there's some really quotable lines, man. You can't but notice it. Some I thought were just funny, too. And then I realized, <laughs> I don't know if this was intentional, but there's a joke earlier on about it being a difficult business hanging a man without a tree. Right. And then you end up with Whitehead very firmly attached to ropes, sort of trailing along without a tree and leading them all to their fates. Yeah, <laughs> solid. I mean, that's a clever line, too, because, yeah, I mean, he makes a solid point. He's like, we're in a field out here, dude. <laughs> I mean, there you are. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, but for real, though, some of the shit was just funny. Like, fucking friend saying that, like, oh, it wouldn't be the first time I've left a wake of indifference behind me. Uh, dude. Dude, that's fucking great. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I don't think I was kind of, like, not paying wholehearted attention to it the first time around. But I do want to jump to it because he had a confession the second time I watched it. Oh, yeah, towards the end. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit. This is brilliant. This is funny. This is dark. Where, you know, he's talking about what he wants them to tell his wife. <laughs> and he's like, tell her I hate her. <laughs> he talks about sleeping with her sister and all this. I'm like, damn. 
Yeah, and even Jacob's like, man, if I would have known that, I would get more respect. Right. <laughs> I was like, this is not the time, but it was, I liked it. That was funny. So there's moments like that where I was like, you know, it shouldn't be funny, but man, that is hilarious right now. <laughs> not to reinforce that this is the only way to look at it, but like, like I said, the way that jumped out to me mostly is like, is this aspects of his personality? And I feel like the friend aspect dying, of course, would get a little bit dirtier. <laughs> yeah. If that's just like the big facade, like what lies behind that when that dies and breaks down? Like, where did this come from? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some interesting things, too, because they make mention, too, or he does specifically, like, what is it with you with hands and stuff? Because there's, like, one of their first encounters, he's rubbing Oh, yeah, that was weird. I couldn't figure that shit out. Yeah, and, I mean, if you're looking into the psyche part, he's like, maybe my hands are a little too clean. Mm-hmm. I've been in study the whole time. I maybe should be out in the field getting experience. I think you can read into that a little bit, but I don't think it's anything, like, too significant, per se. I just thought it was an interesting little side nugget, too. Like, why would he be doing that? The first time they get dirty, the second time they get bloody. Yeah. The bloody makes more sense. You've got blood on your so hands. Too. Yeah. And to me, especially even too, prophetic a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's like, if this is all just like his mind state as he quote unquote matures during battle, I don't yeah. want to call it a true maturation. I don't no, think that's what there, really there happens is, with war. But There is a growth of sorts, if you want to call it that. There's a change. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Then, like, during the blood, is that during one of the times when the sound sort of creeps back in? Oh, the sound. Because there's a couple times, especially towards the end, where, like, even though they're way away from the hedgerow, you sort of hear the sounds of battle start to come back in. Man, I even liked, it had to be ADR, but (laughs) during his trip at the end, how the voices become very clear and the wind and all this chaos. Yeah, it's super fucking windy, but that... All that sound is just way, way low in the mix, and you can just hear the voices. I was like, I like that, dude. You don't get that very often, and then it's chaos. But that was like, fucking that was, cool. Yeah, because that's him. That's him doing it the entire time, experiencing that. So I'm, I'm sure you know. When he was the divining rod, and they went out for the fucking stroll, mm-hmm. and he catches the scent and comes back and figures out where to dig. Right, right, right. That was just their camp again. It, that's exactly where it was at. I was like... 10 feet from fucking the tent. (laughs) He's like, what? I didn't catch that the first time around. And when I was making my notes earlier, I was like, wait, wait, that tent's already there. They didn't set that up. Right. They just went in a big ass circle around the field. That's what it appears to have happened when it was right there the whole time. (laughs) And that's another moment where you're like, so what's fucking real in this movie, right? Yeah. It's like, what the hell was that all about? He just let him right back. (laughs) It's right here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? That was a pretty gnarly scene. Yeah, I'd have to say that even the first time through is when he comes out, the way things slow down. That's where also, also with the whole, you know, fairy ring lore and all that shit is where time slows down. And it's like, it kinda, there's moments where that happens in this film. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of my favorite stuff in this film, honestly, is where they have scenes where they're just kind of holding their pose Dude, setting I was up about, the scene. I was about to see what the fuck what the fuck are those other two doing when he's doing the pecker check. Oh I know. I don't know, man. This is also I wasn't <laughs> expecting just a hard cut to diseased penis. Neither was I. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and that wasn't last time we was gonna see some dong. 
like, holy shit, man. The billowing darkness effect was fucking dope. I I'm not sure what the fuck that's supposed to mean. I haven't been able to piece that shit together. I don't either. I was supposed to say, you could read a little bit maybe into like the cosmic horror side. I don't know how much, though. I also feel like uh, you might be able to tie that into like, maybe it's purgatory. Right. And like, that's death of some sort. You could say that, yeah. I think so. I don't know, man. That's There's some, some things that, poof, you can read to a lot of different ways. There's also the question, of course, like what was the purpose of perhaps the runes and that scrying mirror and because he uses it and all that stuff. But what well, yeah, does the, it really mean? And the scrying mirror allows him to look into the past and present, present future, and yeah. the future. And with O'Neill first having it and then fucking Whitehead getting it, but by the time he's getting it and using it, he's dressed as O'Neill. I mean, there's even a split in it. You could say split personality, mm-hmm. perhaps. Well, and right before that, not right before that, but seven minutes before that, in the showdown with O'Neill, you even have fucking Jacob telling him, like, I'm going to try to save you from yourself. Right. Yeah. And his, it can be easily taken as like you're high on mushrooms right now. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, or, Dude, or like you're, you're <laughs> or like you're inexperienced in battle, but can also very easily in that moment be like, you are O'Neill. O'Neill is you. That's right, man. This are like we some, looking into the past or the future with this scrying mirror shit going on? <laughs> no, I are we s- looking into the past or the future with that scrying mirror? I think there's some signs, some tales in his trip. Mm-hmm. Because there's things that play out in the future and stuff that has happened also in the past that, you know, comes to a head at a certain point, which I think was interesting in that trip because it just appears to be like a, like I said, it's just a trip of merging of faces and blending of faces. But all that stuff had a meaning, I feel like. And I think you're onto something there too with like dealing with the time stuff, past, present, and future. He was seeing all that shit at once. Mm-hmm. But as far as that trip goes... <laughs> How about the Hitler? <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> uh, hmm. Now, if he immediately would have like had control of the group after that, I think I would have got that imagery. As it is right now, I'm not sure some of what that imagery was supposed to be. I don't know. Because <laughs> there was definitely an intentional Sea Kyle in there. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know what that meant. It wasn't the exact motion. You kind of get it. But that editing was intentional. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, man. It's interesting. I I think you make a good point. I'm not sure how much either of these things play into either of the possible narratives that we've been bringing up, the purgatory or personality. Or I guess we've been bringing up three because it's also just maybe slightly personality, but more trimmed down into being they all stand in for somebody that he knows during this battle. I could see that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at with, like, the friend as being a nameless friend thing. Yeah, I mean, that could, like you said, that could be just any old dude in a fucking battle that you fight with. That's Yeah, that's just somebody on your side. Right, I mean, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Some of the stuff that points, I think, towards either more like the war side or like the purgatory side sort of comes up, especially right before the heavy trip sequence when like he's going to bury friend and stuff. You have like the purgatory, I think, is especially backed up by, let's see, 
O'Neill tells Cutler that the only way out is down, intending for him to dig. When he hits about grave depth, he runs into the skull, obviously showing death. Yeah, death is right there. And he's about six feet down in about a grave shape. He even mentioned, he's like, you guys pretty much dug your own grave. And at the exact same time, you have Whitehead having brought friend out to be buried. Mm -hmm. They frame the dead friend very specifically a few ways and then you have whitehead lay down in the same way right but mirrored i would say even the way that the camera does the i mean at this point in enough film if you see that inversion you can go ahead and say there's something going on man some kind of mirroring typically some kind of evil or not always but you know you can read into it there's something going on and that leads to like him getting up and going and seeing the billowing dark, which near as I can figure is somehow related to death. I have no I idea that that's part. I that's still, still like that, but yeah, I love how it looks, but it's one of the, the more out there pieces for me where I'm like, I don't know how this fits in. I know there's a part of me that really hopes it is kind of Lovecraftian, but I don't know to, if that is even the case. I it, hope, but I doubt it. It's kind of like, the trippiness starts even though Whitehead doesn't eat the mushrooms, even though he's the fucking viewpoint character. I know. You know what I mean? Like, but then he he eats the mushrooms. Yeah, dude. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and even though he didn't eat the mushrooms, he's playing along with the others. If nothing else, like. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I, that <laughs> it's fucking rough, but. Oh, I know what I was getting at. I don't know if these things played on either three of the narratives that we've sort of been touching on a bit, but there is also a lot of contrasting between, we've brought up a couple times, like the pious versus the pagan, as well as like soldiers versus scholars. And even to an extent, like class, like rich versus poor, because right, yeah. Whitehead is obviously better off than any of the others. Without a doubt. Either they're all part of him, and so that even when O'Neill's in control, he sort of gets to stand apart from the rest of them, or it's a comment on his place in society, and even when the others are working, he usually gets to stand separate at least for a little bit. Yeah. There's a, a line I think that's kind of interesting, <laughs> too, in this film, alluding to, like, the treasure, what the real treasure is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then what the... <laughs> That what? fucking cracked me up. I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? It's the friends we made along the way. <laughs> right. And I was like, man, that is kind of a fucked up way of this story going in this arc. But it makes sense because this is how I read this, right? So you have these guys typically searching for some kind of elusive wealth, right? It's buried. It's, you know, some kind of whatever, it's they don't get you. any of the wealth they're going after. No, of course not. They don't not. get the wealth in the field. They don't go to the alehouse. Of course not. And that's usually the fucking case. You're chasing this ghost, this myth, this legend. And I feel like that was probably part of the whole treasure hunt in the first place. You know, it's like it was everything was a lie. <laughs> the whole point was a lie. The alehouse, everything down to it was a lie. The gold, all of that stuff. And that was the real thing. The friendship, hence maybe the friend mm -hmm. character too. He was looking for some kind of something more than just what, I don't know, it's just his books, you know? And maybe he found that along the way in the battles with the people he met and gaining this knowledge. Well, by the end, the way they were interacting, like, Jacob could have just as easily been his trusted sergeant. Right. 
Yeah, he could have been just another rank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fuck, this movie's good, dude. That's what I'm saying. I think there's a lot of ways you can read into these characters that are not specifically Whitehead, you know? Mm-hmm. They can be, you know, metaphors for other people in battle or in society or during this time period, you know? There's a part of me that really wants to lean into, like, the psychedelic side of it and maybe the folkloric side and already alluded to, like, the Lovecraftian bits with why is he having these apocalyptic, almost apocryphal visions? I don't know. And he even alludes a little bit to the use of mushrooms and his knowledge of the world at this point. Mm-hmm. Breaking past his master, he's got this knowledge now. He's saying, hey, he has these tools. Maybe he's unlocking this new knowledge. And like I said, it weirdly works as like a psychedelic origin story for like a Solomon Kane type yeah. character. And I like it. Because by the by the way he's portrayed at the end, he's basically a badass witch hunter. Dude, <laughs> like Damn, I like to get up. I mean, even though it was Neil, it's like, fuck you, Neil. <laughs> he's still like, he's him, but now he's harder. He now has all this knowledge. I mean, you get him. All right, get his master's to, got the fucking drop scene is going to die anyway. You could say his master perhaps was the G.O.D. Because O'Neill's referred to as a devil several times. Mm-hmm. I think you can also just as easily <laughs> say that his master is actually the devil. That too, And dude. he maybe hasn't realized it until now. Right, and he's just like, I need to tap into this shit. I've been pussyfooting the whole time. Because his master from the get-go is an alchemist, at least. Right, 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 right. And that makes No matter sense. what his own personal leanings are. Yeah, that's not very religious, per se, if you're dabbling into those kind of sciences, mm-hmm. alchemy and astrology. They're not, and not in that time period especially, they're yeah. also not exclusively like pagan black magic though either right it's kind of a learned art but it's not (laughs) you're it's you're dealing with some gray matter here man Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah but those are the times they were dealing with you know it was this melding of the scientific age and holding on to these old beliefs and then getting down to like no we need to be very very pious and this is weird mix of stuff going on at the time. We already alluded to it several times, but. But that's the thing. Like we find out like <laughs> he was quote unquote programmed with beliefs. But when yeah. we see what they yeah. actually are. He feels empty. But he, he does. He feels empty. <laughs> but we see that they're also, he wasn't filled with Christian beliefs. No. Dude, what did he say? He wasn't out? he wasn't programmed with Christian beliefs. No. No matter what he actually you thought know, I was in him. That's a good scene too. It's it's a telling scene. He's like, I don't remember putting these in me. Oh yeah, there might be some other things that get put up in you too. You mm-hmm. <laughs> can be careful. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's what I'm getting at. There's a lot of really cool stuff you can read into. But that can be film. him realizing, oh, like they're not who they say they are. Right. And now I have to come to my I mean, this um, movie just as easily a metaphor for a battle as it is just him having a crisis of faith. Yeah, this new acceptance of what his reality is, maybe the world around him. Is it just to survive? Yeah, self-preservation, as he puts it. You know, He knows self-preservation's there. Yeah, it keeps him going, <laughs> at least. You know, so I think it's, yeah, man, you can read into it so many different ways. And you know what? I'd say good for you, too, because shit. We're still trying to decipher this. And I don't think any of them are wrong, honestly, in any way you look at it. 
I just wish I knew which one was more right. I know. But that could even change depending on the day. Depending how much more I end up watching this movie. I, I don't know if it's going to end up being that much more because, like, I got shit to do in my life. But. Likewise. It's like, man, we, there's too many things going on around me where I'd love to devote a lot of more time into this because it's fun. But it also gives me a better appreciation for filmmaking like this, too, because if you don't necessarily have a little bit of knowledge, you don't have to be a scholar in any of these areas, but just having a little bit of knowledge going into it definitely helps unravel some of this mystery. Otherwise, it's like you said with the Green Knight, and if you don't know anything about stories like that, and you're just kind of dropped in them, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. You can't make up from down and down from up and all that other stuff. So, But if you do, man, this film is really fun. <laughs> Because it opens up this dialogue. Mm-hmm. So that's what I gathered from it. Like, I, I had no idea I'd be this enthralled by this film. Not me either. I thought it was fucking fantastic. Oh, and it's like, man, Ben Wheatley, you're starting to really creep up my list, dude. Dude, I've been wanting to watch High Rise for a bit now anyway. I think it's going to move up higher on my, like, yeah. get to this and finally fucking watch this dickhole. Like, well, I mean... Like, we talked about what we thought about you for Unearthed, right? That might be the one of the few where it's like, ah, you know, it was fun, but eh, it was all right. Didn't really do too much. But Kill List. That was and, dope. And now a field in England. Woof, woof. Holy shit, I dude. think I like field in England more. Yeah, I like Kill List a lot, but this one, yeah, this one is on a different level. I think this is, what, his fourth film? Okay. Full length, I think. So I think it shows his maturity, too. So I'm excited to see what he does if he dabbles more in this realm because there's times where i did feel like with kill list like yeah these characters are kind of dropped into a middle of something they really don't have control over and that's where i'm kind of getting with the cosmic horror a little bit too that's a little bit where i was getting like the full core because it is implied that o'neill's the one that summoned them all there somehow they kind of even yeah, though he even makes the, of that shit yeah. yeah beyond cutler simply being in, Working in, with in them. his yeah. employ Right. It just, maybe that was his happenstance. Mm-hmm. He found his Renfield or whatever. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, Cutler simply is Renfield if he truly did summon them. Like, yeah. he didn't summon I them like, her. oh, I just paid this guy to come Yeah. Here. Cu- All right. I summoned you by using my powers to bring why, in people to influence to say, bring you here. Why else would O'Neill beat the shit out of Cutler when they uncover him from those ropes? Mm-hmm. It's like that. That doesn't make any sense. If that guy, if he's working for you, <laughs> why are you kicking his ass? <laughs> exactly. Fuck, this is good. I know, right? I was like, damn, I'm excited. I can't get over how good the score was, too. I have to say that, like, the score was really good at highlight of a lot of the scenes. Oh, here's the other awesome part of this fucking movie. Other filmmakers take note. We had lush scenery porn. Yeah. Crazy abstract psychedelic sequences pathos and wonder it was an hour and 30 minutes dude and (laughs) literally literally it was shot and the guys that were wearing the costume he said the beauty of it because it was a time period piece is during this time period a lot people didn't have a lot of outfits so it was easy for them in costumes like you just wear the same shit no one Mm -hmm. gives a fuck no problem with continuity second too along with that is you have a minimal cast and you're shooting basically in fields where they're like, you know, his initial plan was to shoot in the woods. They're like, no, 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 no. We've already done that. We've already done that. Let's do it in a field. And the field itself becomes a character, mm-hmm. you know? So there's moments, I think, when they zoom in during those 
kind of trippy moments and also just, I think, establishing shots like on the low perspective. I was like, those are some interesting shots, man. Like the cinematography was really cool. I read too that they shot on a very low budget. You know, we've already kind of talked about that, but they played around with certain lenses that you can get for cheap. Uh, One of them was like a 30 pound lens that you can pick up at literally at a Walmart. Shit. You know, and I think they used it for some of those wide lens kind of angled shots, kind of give it some glare for those sun sequences. So it's like they dabbled in, we've already alluded to it, like the art house kind of artsy fartsy shots. It was fun, but it fit. It didn't feel out of place. Uh, The performances were really well done. I was like, man, Reese Shearsmith, <laughs> he pulled off some crazy fucking moments. I think coming out of that tent was one of them. Like, that was a big moment. That was crazy. Where he's just like, what is going on with him? That, I mean, that sequence is what one of the reasons why you're like, this is not, not a horror movie. Right, because it's like, yeah, it makes you feel uneasy. Like, what it's not a horror on? movie, but this isn't something that happens in a normal movie. Oh, what happened in that tent? <laughs> why is he tied up? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, so a lot of stuff going on. I think for, like, we've already mentioned, for people who have already liked a lot of the films you've already mentioned, it's another one you can plug and play with. Makes for good double billing, triple billing for some other films in the genre. Um, it makes me excited to see what others can do with films like this or time period pieces like this. Apparently I need to watch The Meg so that I'm ready for Wheatley's The Meg too. <laughs> I mean, I kind of wanted to watch The Meg anyway, but... yeah. I was like, I'm curious. You never know. It makes me wonder. Like, with uh, was it Crawl? Which I've only heard amazing reviews of. Like, how? But I saw that trailer. I was like, okay, so they made a slightly more serious Sharknado. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, but I'm curious. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. So we'll see. But right now, as it stands, I'm really pleased with what I've seen from Wheatley. Yes. Oh man. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm really happy that we reviewed this one, man. It was a fun film. Didn't know exactly what to uh, expect until I came out of it. I'm like, fuck, this movie's something else, dude. Oh, just because we haven't commented on it directly before oh, we're done with this movie, yeah. I do have to say, holy fuck, the leg effect was gnar as shit and the fucking face getting blown out. That was unexpected, but I really liked it. I'd be remiss, too. I think a lot of people who reviewed this film were like, man, you guys missed out on a good chance to talk about the song. I know we briefly mentioned it. Oh, the fucking the blue song. Dude, I was like, that was was pretty good. That was cool. I like that the the movie ends with that, too. Yeah, it's fun. You've already mentioned the mirroring. They go out with that. that. Yeah, the little touch. It's like, okay, that was fun because it gives it that wartime feel. (laughs) How, How about Whitehead being like, so I'm going to eat some mushrooms and then just shoves all of the <laughs> mushrooms in his mouth. Jesus. I was like, good for him, man. He went for it. Holy shit. Ooh. Yeah. He's still tripping. Oh, yeah. To this day. Still tripping. He's still tripping. Man. Even when Jacob, you know, he, he mm-hmm. tells him, he's like, hey, I'm trying to save you from yourself. He's still out there munching on fucking mushrooms. Nom, 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 nom. Oh, he's going for it. He is going for it. But yeah, I think the second time through, third, fourth, fifth, however many more times after this, I'm not saying I'm watching in a succession like we did this weekend, but I think it is a fun one, man, for people who do like to have these open discussions. So I'll leave it with that without tripping over my own words. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try to find 
at least a few other like people's thoughts on it and just sort of yeah. see what other people had to say about it. And right. I th- said that's kind of the beauty about film. I think art in general, because it is very subjective, you're going to have very different takes on it. But I think that's like, so what leads to the fun of that is the dialogue. As per usual, we don't know what we're doing, do we? Not yet, but you know, we will. We will. Please go listen to that. Please go watch this fucking movie. Yes, dude. Do. Look, legit too, like we said, some of these other flicks, Lighthouse, Valhalla Rising, whatever else, uh, Green Knight, those sort of movies, you know, have a great sort of similar feel to this and it would be a good companion piece. Oh, yeah. Some of those are kind of new movies. Maybe you haven't gotten a chance to watch them yet. So you're like, I don't know if I should watch a field in England because I haven't even gotten a chance to see those. Kind of like we touched on earlier, this isn't not folk horror. If you like fucking Blood on Satan's Claw, if you like Wicker Man even, this is a lot different, but it's not completely different. (laughs) Weirdly, some of that DNA is still there. And maybe it's just the Englishness of it pervading into it. No, I think that lends a heavy hand thinking about the people involved. And that's the stuff they grew up with, so Mm -hmm. it only makes sense. It feels very English. (laughs) I said even the use of the the old English, I was like, (laughs) I already mentioned, without subtitles, I was lost. I was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Mm. So it helped having the subtitles on for sure. (laughs) There's definitely one time the subtitles said something about a con when he definitely called them cunts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait, no, I caught that. I caught that. Oh, yeah. He definitely told him. He's like, we need to stop acting like a bunch of cunts. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, no, no. He definitely said that. (laughs) I'm like, that's not what the subtitle said. Yeah. But, I mean, outside of that, it was was fairly accurate, you know. Mm -hmm. I think just having them on, you can pick out stuff. Audibly, which is weird, but sometimes it just helps to have the visual on screen. But can't highly recommend this enough, regardless. I think it's a fun entry into this little subgenre of films. Oh, okay. We got to figure out what we're going to do, don't we? Yeah, but that's the fun, too. We're going to do that, and we're done with this. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. You can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.